He says, wake from your sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. If nothing else, that's true. I know from the time I was a little guy, I heard Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming any day. But in the grand scheme of things, he is coming soon. And we are closer than we've ever been. Yes, yes, he could send revival, things could turn, and we, we could have some more time. That's up to him. All I know is that we better be ready. Amen. You know, this, this makes the second coming so special, like I said, because it's Jesus that's coming back to get us. And the same thing that makes it so special for us makes it so scary for so many people because they're going to be shocked to find out that it is Jesus that's coming back. It's going to be one of those oops moments. So I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about Matthew chapter 24, 36, starting there. We're going to look at a few sections of Scripture because Jesus is sitting this thing up. Jesus is talking about his return to those that are listening to him speak, and he makes this statement. He says, but about that day, our hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. Yeah, I'm amazed. I don't know about you, but it's always amazed me that even though Jesus says, no man knows the day, no man knows the hour, that there are always people that want to stand up and declare they've got some kind of special revelation and that they know the day and they know the hour. I'm like, what book are you reading? But I thought about that as I looked up a few of them. Did you know October 22nd, 1844, a guy by the name of William Miller whose followers were, came to be known as the Millerites, taught Christ would return on that date. And large numbers of people actually sold all their stuff, climbed up on the roofs of their houses, waiting for him to come get them. And they waited for him to come get them. And they waited for him to come get them. Missed that one. In 1874, a guy by the name of Charles Russell, that was the president of the Watchtower Society, calculated that 1874 was going to be the year. It wasn't. So they changed their theology. Talk about the Jehovah Witness. They changed their theology to say, well, he really did come that year. He just set up a spiritual kingdom. No, a spiritual kingdom was set up when he gave his life on the cross and rose from the dead. He didn't have to do anything else special. We're just waiting on the second return. Then in 1988, there was many that people that taught this prophecy. This was pretty widespread. A lot of people believe that, that since, that since Israel became a nation in 1948 that calculated that that meant that, that 40 years is typically a generation in Scripture, and that meant Jesus had to come back in 1988. Wrong again. Probably one of the most recent is a guy by the name of Mark Blitz wrote a book 
corresponding, he was saying that basically September 28, 2015, in line with the lunar eclipse, also known as the blood moon, would be the time that Jesus would return. Wrong again. What part of nobody knows but God don't you get? End of discussion. We don't know. Yet one thing Jesus shows us by declaring as it was in the days of Noah is that it will be sudden and people will be caught by surprise. We may not be able to know the time. We may know the season. But scripture really makes it seem like that all of a sudden life is going to be going on as normal and all of a sudden this thing happens. And we're caught by surprise. So I want us to look at this a little bit and explore today. How was it in the days of Noah? What aspect of those things can we glean from? What can we learn from? What, we can, what can we pull from what Jesus said in this passage of Scripture? First of all, as I said, we're going to find out it's going to be a sudden surprise. There are going to be some of those who's like, oh, was that today? That is not the thing you want to miss. Think about this, though. Before the flood, Noah did something amazing. Because Jesus said, as it was the day of Noah, Noah did something amazing. Guess what he did? He listened to God. And he trusted him. Although everything that would seem to be common sense in that moment did not make sense, he was encouraged to build a boat when they had never experienced rain. He was encouraged. I mean, literally, he's building this ship on dry ground because God said so. Talk about looking like an idiot to everybody else around him. But he listened and he obeyed. And he did it despite the criticism. And guess what? The rain and the flood did come. And God saved those that listened. And those that refused were lost. The sad thing is, it was basically only Noah and his family that listened. Hopefully, when Jesus comes back, there'll be a few more of us than that. But Jesus uses his Noah here to emphasize how unprepared people will be when he does come again. There will be something that they don't expect. Continuing on, verse 38 and 39, it says, For in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will it be in the coming of the Son of Man. This thing applies to us today. Jesus declared, I mean, think about this. You hear all these people that want to deny the flood, but Jesus himself stand there and said, you know, they look at the Old Testament as just a bunch of stories and just a bunch of fables, but Jesus himself stood there and basically declares the flood did happen. As it was in the days of Noah. And man, there's so many things we could get into that. There's, there's lots of stuff that you can look at that back up. There really is a lot of evidence that backs up a worldwide flood. Just people choose to ignore it. Because it doesn't fit the narrative. But Jesus clearly states that, that his coming, even for his followers, will be in an unexpected time without warning. That means surprise! That means amazement. That means unexpectedness. That means even his church will be caught a little bit off guard. 
Now, I don't know whether things are going to be such a mess that our attention is everywhere else, and all of a sudden he comes along or things are going along pretty good, and he comes. Either way, it's going to be unexpected. And he's going to come, and he's going to take us away in the rapture. Now, I want you to understand something. This is not the coming that we're talking about this morning where he will come and establish his kingdom on the earth. That comes later, and we're going to talk about that next week. We're talking about the rapture is the first stage of Christ's return, and the second stage will come following the seven years of tribulation here on this earth. Once again, we'll cover those things next week because that's one of the things I've figured out is that, that a lot of these things aren't really being taught anymore that a lot of people are unaware exactly how the end times are laid out. And we're not going to get caught up in, in discussing and breaking down every prophecy and, and revelation because that can get really weird, right? And there's all kinds of theories, and so a lot of them I look at and say, okay, we'll see. But I'm going to talk about the things that we know that are going to happen and how they're going to happen so that we can be prepared. Though some of the issues Jesus talked about allows us to know the season, there will be no specific signs that says, oh, that's the day. We're not going to get up on that day, look at our watch and say, well, I better make sure my stuff's together today because today's the day he's coming. We don't know. But Jesus goes, does go on to give us a little bit clearer picture. Let's look at verse 40 through 42. He says, then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taking, taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. We don't know. And Jesus' words refer to those who are going to be, who are going to be raptured. Basically, people are going to be doing life, things are going to be going on, and then all of a sudden, that trumpet's going to sound, and those that believe and follow Christ will be out of here, and the others will be left, and there, it's going to be an interesting situation. You know, but anytime you talk about the rapture, there's always somebody that's going to come up. I've heard it a hundred times. They'll make the say, well, you know the word rapture isn't actually in Scripture. Yeah, I know that. But let me help you out here a little bit. The word rapture comes from the Latin word raptu, which means caught away or caught up. The Latin word that has the very same meaning as the original Greek word, which is translated in Scripture, caught up, in 1 Thessalonians 4.17, it's the same word. 1 Thessalonians 4, 17 and 18 says, Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together, in other words, raptured, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so will be, so will be always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Notice what he says there. He says, Stay awake, or some translations, keep watch. In other words, don't nod off during this. You're waiting on this. Don't be unaware. Don't lose your focus. It means we need to be in a continuous action watching and waiting and looking. Boy, to me, if ever there's a time we need to be, yes, we need to live our lives. We need to do the things that we need to do. But I believe we live in a season and a time where we better have one eye at least looking towards the heavens and better make sure that we're ready. 
Because guess what? There will be no two-minute warning. We had better be ready. There's, there's, no, there's no time. There will be no time to get it right. 1 Corinthians 15, 52 says this, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. I want you to picture this. Well, these days, God's going to give the word. Maybe some of us picture it like this. God gives the word. The angel says, okay, well, I guess that's the day. He reaches down. He picks up his trumpet, wets his lips, puts it to his mouth, plays out this nice, long, slow song to sound that it's time. Then all of a sudden, after that's played, the ground begins to shake. The tombs slowly open up. The dead in Christ crawl up out and get a good stretch before they go and they make their way to Jesus. And then after that takes place, Jesus says, well, I guess I'll go ahead and transform those that are alive and remain and will bring them up to be with me. And many of us, I think, have this idea that that will give us enough time to get our lives in order. Whether you believe that or not, many are living their lives like they believe that. But guess what? Wrong. Scripture says in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. So what does that mean? What is a twinkling of an eye? Well, there's really two ways you can look at that. You can look at whoever sees somebody that has a twinkle in their eye. Well, guess what that is? That's a reflection of light. So how fast is that? 186,000 miles per second. That's pretty fast. Maybe you say, well, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the blink of an eye. Okay, the blink of an eye is 300 milliseconds. The point is, you're not going to have time to get anything right. If you ain't ready, you ain't ready. You're going to be left behind. This morning, if you get a hold of one thought, I want you to get a hold of this statement. Do not be caught up in the ways of this world. Get caught up when Jesus returns. We better be ready. Because you know what? I don't know about you. I've read what happens here on earth after the rapture, and I don't want to be here. I want to go out on the first ship, so to speak. I want to be safe in his presence. But for many people, this will not be a happy day. The majority of people, when Jesus returns, will not be glad to see him. But the thing is, Jesus has told us many times, many times through Scripture, he describes and he talks about the coming of the Son of Man and his return. You know, there's, there's occasions where he talks about how that, that he, he refers to it as, as, as wheat and weeds and how they're intermingled, but the day they come, the angels will come and they will separate the wheat from the weeds. Another place he talks about a shepherd separating the, the goats from the sheep. He talks about catches of fish. I mean, we could go on and on and on about the number of times that he talked about this moment. 
And we just read that he said there'll be two in a field and one will be taken and one left. But what does this describe? It describes the rapture of the church that will be caught up and faithful people of God will, will, will be caught away and get to be with the Lord in, in the air and it will happen. And those that are left, those that claim that they really want, that, that, that we need to do away with this book. I just saw this week a video where, where there were people, some of the protesters were burning Bibles and flags. We better wake up to the idea that there is a hard push again what's, what we believe in. But guess what? They will get what they want. It will happen. We will be out of here. And there's going to be a mess. We are, I believe, as in the days of Noah, right now. Can things shift? Absolutely. I'm not going to stand here and say I know without a doubt that we're in that season because there's been other times in history that people thought they were in the season. When Hitler was doing all his stuff on the, war, on the earth, there was a lot of people that thought that was the season. But all I know is there's a whole lot of things that are lining up right now unlike anything before. The idea of tracking everybody and there being a mart where you couldn't buy or sell without it. All those things were something that seemed so far off and so out there and so impossible. Now today we see that right now with the technology we have, all the things that we see, a one world totalitarian government is very much a real possibility today. So we better wake up and we better open our eyes. We better know the season. We better make sure our house is in order. But guess what? Just as it was in the days of Noah, the people, the nations refused to listen to the warning that Noah of Noah's day. Did you know there's a passage of scripture that refers to Noah as being a preacher? There's no doubt that Noah told some people what was going on and they refused to listen. Following Christ and attending church look just as crazy to many people out there today as Noah building the ark. But guess what? The day will come. And this is the part so many people don't get. I know Jesus' love. I know Jesus' grace. I know that he loves people. But so many times we can get so caught up in that that we forget that God's, that God's wrath will be poured out on this earth at some point after the rapture. Those things will take place. And Jesus died not for the purpose of just wiping everything away and giving us all this ticket heaven, but for the purpose of giving us a way out to escape that wrath. But that doesn't negate the fact that that wrath is coming. And so God will rain down his wrath. And everything in me says that much of what we're seeing now, please understand me, I, I try not to get carried away with claiming this or claiming that, but everything in my spirit is telling me to look out because the time is close. And to me, we have to proclaim the truth. But here's the good news. Genesis 6, 8, referring back to Noah 
It says all the stuff that was going on in his generation, all the stuff that was going on in his time, all the stuff that made God so upset that he says, I'm going to pour out my wrath on the earth. I'm just going to wipe this whole thing out and start over. This statement ought to give us hope and joy. It says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You know, guess what? You know, if you talk about the end times, some of these things, you're always going to find somebody that tries to make the case that Christians are going to have to go through the seven years of tribulation. But I love to look at the idea of Jesus's. The thing that convinces me otherwise is Jesus's own reference here to Noah. To me, that's one of the reasons I don't buy it. Because guess what? God was getting ready to pour his wrath out on the earth. And guess what he did? Those that were faithful to him, he lifted them up above the wrath that was coming. Sounds a little bit like the rapture, doesn't it? And if that one does not good enough for you, we can go to another time that God was getting ready to pour out his wrath on Egypt and sending all those plagues. But guess what? He made sure his people were in the land of Goshen and none of those plagues ever touched the land of Goshen. See, God has this track record of when he pours out his wrath, he cares for his people. He lifts them up. He watches over them. And just like it says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, we found grace in the blood of the Lamb. I guess y'all didn't hear what I said. We found grace in the blood of the Lamb. And we can bank on that. And I love this. What did Jesus say I was doing? He said, I am going to prepare a place for you. So when he comes and he lifts us up and he takes us out of this, we're not going, it's not just some last minute decision. He's been getting ready for this the whole time. And we will be lifted up while the world is dealt with. And the great news is, is once we set foot back on this earth again, we will find that the evil and the sin has been dealt with and we will rule and reign with him, scripture says, for a thousand years. I'm going to get into more of those details next week. But let's look at this. Matthew 24, skipping on to 45 through 47 says, Who then is the faithful and wise servant? Who is the master who has sit over his household to give them good food at the proper time? Because blessed is the servant whom his master will find him doing, so, so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, He will set him over all his possessions. We're found being faithful. You know, I love this because so many times what do we see? We picture heaven being some place where there's nothing to do and we're sitting on some cloud strumming a harp. (laughs) Or walking through some fuzzy out of focus experience for eternity. Doesn't line up with scripture. We will rule and reign with him. There will be stuff to do in his kingdom. He will give us charge. He says in other places that, that those that are faithful will be put, those that are faithful with little will be put in charge of much. It's going to be joyous. We're going to have the greatest boss in the world. But, 
What if you're not ready? What if you're left behind? So I was working on this. Ran across a little little story. It was told from an old timer. This is a day from a day in time before us. We would never do what happens in this story today, but but there was a time when it wouldn't be that out of the ordinary. This old timer was telling this story about a time that he got a little bit of a realization of the idea of what it might be like to be left behind. And he told the story about how that when he was a kid, that he and his family were making this trip out of town and they were driving this, that it was him and, and he and his brother in the car with, with uh, the father and they were driving down the road and for some reason mom was following in the other vehicle a couple miles behind them. They'd gotten separated somehow and, and they were just headed down this kind of lonely road and they were going on this trip and, and all of a sudden dad looks over the, at the little boy, the, the youngest one, and says, hey, says, uh, why don't you go ride with mom so she won't be alone? He's like, oh, yes, got yes. So he stops the car, leaves the little boy on the side of the road and begins to take off. And he, the little boy was fine, was like, okay, I realized not today we wouldn't do this. We're talking about a different time. And so the, the, he's waiting on his mom to come, and he wasn't worried because he knew mom was going to pick him up, right? So he's standing there on the side of the road waiting, and pretty soon he sees the car coming, and he begins to wave and jump up and down. But for whatever reason, mom was distracted. Mom didn't see him, and mom pfft, right on by he said, I immediately tried to chase her down, and pretty soon I realized that wasn't going to do any good. He said, the reality set in that I had been left behind. He said, I cried, and I cried, and I cried. If we're not right, when that trumpet sounds, well, we'll see what happens around us. Can you imagine the realization this was that that Jesus spoke of and I've been left behind. I can't imagine what that grief would be like realizing that. Let's look at Matthew 24, 48 through 51. What if we're left behind? Jesus talks about that a little bit here. He says, but if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Whoa, that's pretty tough, right? I underlined a few things that I want to talk about. First of all, he says, my master is delayed. So that means he considered the master to be his master. Let that sink in for a moment. But somewhere along the line, he no longer took the master's return seriously. 
And he began to let other things creep in. He began to let his guard down. He began to not take it so seriously that his master was returning because it had been a period of time and he waited and he let other things. And so he began to let some things that perhaps he had put aside begin to creep back in and let some of those stuff happen. And he no longer took it seriously. He let sin creep back in and soon it controlled his life. And the master returned and he paid the price. This is Jesus' words, not mine. You know, just because God is delayed does not mean he's never coming back. 2 Peter 3.9 tells us the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not willing that any should perish, but that all shall reach repentance. He's waiting. He wants. His desire is for everyone to give their life to him. And and yet so many times we can be so guilty. I just picture this whole thing. That there are going to be those. We know scripturally this is correct. There are going to be those that think they're covered. There are going to be those that think they're right. But they've let all the stuff creep in. And they they weren't ready for his return. And they're out of place. And, and, and things have gotten so to the point that they've lost their, their connection with him and he's going to come back and they're going to be shocked if they're left behind. It really is going to be, oh, that was today moment. But then I love the other part that it says. It says that they will, those that that happens to, that they will be put with the hypocrites. Now, first of all, How many know that that all of us can have moments that we're hypocrites? So that is kind of a broad term. We all have weaknesses and areas where we want to point a finger at somebody else and we're just as guilty in another area, right? But we also know there are people that are just flat out hypocrites, right? So to me, there's kind of two classes of hypocrites, and I'm not going to bring too much distinction to that, but I've got two thoughts on this idea of they will be with the hypocrites. First of all, we all hear the excuses, well, I would go to church, I would be a part of that, I, I would do stuff, but there's just so many hypocrites. Thought number one, if a hypocrite is what stands between you and God, that means the hypocrite's closer to God than you are. Thought number two, let's say they really are a horrible, horrible hypocrite and you're staying out of church to avoid being around them. Jesus just said that if you do that, that's the group you're going to spend eternity with. You're going to be put with the hypocrites. So if you're really staying out of church to avoid them, the better place you can be is in church and following God because the ones that are really, really bad hypocrites, that's where they're going to end up anyway. So let those things sink in. You guys with me? You understand what I'm saying? We can't use other people as an excuse because you'll end up with the same people you say you're trying to avoid. But Jesus is coming back. He's coming back for true followers. Those who live life ready. 
Those that keep their lamps full of oil, waiting for the groom's return. Like a bride waiting for her groom. Once again, I did not handpick that song this morning. And I was like, look at that. I know that the Holy Spirit knows what he's doing. But that story of the ten virgins, and I'm going to close with this is the very next thing where Jesus, I mean, look at it. Look in your Bible. Right after Matthew there where he talks about, as it was the days of Noah, the very next thing he says, he talks about the ten wise, or the five wise and five foolish virgins. He talks about how that there were those that they knew the bridegroom was coming. They knew that that day was going to happen They knew that it was on its way and there were those that made sure that they stayed ready. There were those that made sure that their lamps were full of oil because they knew they didn't know the day or the hour and that they were prepared. They kept their light shining and full of the oil of the Holy Spirit. They were doing what they were supposed to do and then there's the the ones that when, when when the waiting went just a little bit longer than they thought they weren't as prepared as they should be and they realized that all of the sudden they realized oh my goodness the bridegroom's coming we better go get some oil and while they were gone he came and they were left and locked outside we had better be ready we had better live ready we don't have time to play around or mess with foolish things we had better live a life that is good and right than in a moment's notice that that trumpet can sound and we will be there. As I said earlier, don't get caught up in the ways of this world. Get caught up when Jesus returns. It really is a one or the other. I want to get caught up when Jesus returns. There is nothing I can chase after that is worth missing that moment. You know, I've said many times, I've, I've lived my life growing up in church and being part of this. I thank God for parents that made sure we were in church. I wasn't always perfect, but it really was. That stuff was so deep in me. I was praying this week. I was like, Lord, I, I just, even though I chased after some stupid stuff and some stupid times of my life, and there were moments that I'm not so sure I would have made it had that rapture happened then. Just being honest. Kind of like the time I'd been out doing some stuff I wasn't supposed to, and I came home and and walked in and the into the house where my parents lived, and and everything was on. Both cars were in the driveway. The TV was playing. There was even some clothes laying here there, and they were nowhere to be found. For a few moments there, I thought, "Oh no." Thank God something had happened. They were just next door talking to the neighbors and they just left everything. I was like, whoo! But one of these days, it's not going to be anybody's imagination. One of these days, it's going to be real. And there's nothing we can chase after that is worth missing that moment. No peer pressure, no relationship, 
no pursuit of anything that is contrary to the life we know we should live. We better live ready because he is going to return. In the moment, in a twinkling of an eye, the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ shall rise and those that are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. You know, as I grew up in church, I always could measure my relationship about when somebody talked about that moment. Was I excited or did it scare me? And that told me right where my soul was. If you're here this morning and that thought excites you, how great would it be if if tomorrow... Because some of you are probably going to go home at some point this evening. You're going to be thinking, well, tomorrow the week starts again. It's back to work, back to this. Wouldn't it be great if, if all of a sudden before you got up, the trumpet sounded you're like, oh, I don't have to do any of that. I just get to see Jesus. Or does the thought scare you? And a dozen things are flowing through your mind of what would be in the way. What would keep you from being a part of that? And you would experience that moment of being left behind. I don't want that for anybody. We read this passage where it said, He's not willing that any should perish but that all would come to repentance. I love that word repentance. It doesn't mean just saying, Lord, forgive me and wipe my stuff away while I keep doing that. Repentance means to turn. Leave those things behind. Now that doesn't mean we don't have those moments that we fail and that we stumble when we're trying That's where grace comes in. I thank God for His grace because none of us are perfect. We all have bad moments. If nothing else, every one of us gets mad at somebody while we're driving. We all have those moments. We're not talking about being perfect, but we're talking about living a life, making sure that we're ready, living a life where we call upon the name of the Lord, living a life where we try our best to serve and to follow Him and our heart is right and we're looking to progress and become a little more like Christ every day. There is nothing you can chase after here that is worth it. Nothing. You may think it is now, but the moment that trumpet sounds and everybody's out and you realize that you're left, you're going to realize how much that thing was not worth it. So whatever you're holding on to, lay it down. Put it aside. Give your life fully to Christ. Not just part of it, but all of it. Lord, here am I, a sinner. Forgive me. Let me lay those things at the foot of the cross. Because Jesus died and suffered everything he went through. 
through on the cross was to make a way out so that you don't have to face the wrath that is coming. He made a way where there was no way. He paid for it with his very life. And this morning, he's reaching out to you. And if you could picture it, if you could picture that nail-scarred hand reaching out to you saying, take me by the hand and come follow me. How can you say no? Because in a moment, a twinkling of an eye, we don't know the day or the hour, but it is coming and it is going to happen. And we better have our house in order. I want you to bow your heads for just a moment. For those of you that are online, I encourage you, to continue. If, it, if it's you, I want you to pray a prayer with me. But I, I can't see your hands, but there's, I'm sure there's a button or a way that you can click there and contact us in some fashion and let us know that you prayed this prayer. But I need to know. Jesus said, made this statement saying, if you confess me, in this world, I will confess you before my Father. Sometimes, even though it's uncomfortable, we have to say, Lord, I'm yours. So this morning, I want to know if there's anybody here that this spoke to you. And as we spoke, and I know it's going to take guts, But something in you says, you know what? If that trumpet were to sound right now, I don't know that I would make it. If that's you, would you just raise your hand right now? Nobody's looking around, but you'd raise your hand and say, you know what? That's me. If the trumpet sounded right now, I don't know that I would make it. There is something in me that is saying, I'd better get some things right. There's some things in my house that are out of order that I need to take care of. If that's you, just raise your hand right now, right now. My prayer is that seeing no hands here, that that means that every one of you have committed your life to Christ, that you're not holding on to things this world that would cause you to be, be excluded or left behind should he return. How many of you would say, I want to make sure that I'm ready when he returns? Those that are here and those that are watching online, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Lord Jesus, I come before you this morning. I believe that one day that trumpet will sound. I believe that one day you will come. And you will pick up your church. And you will bring us to be with you. And Lord, I don't want to miss that moment. And I understand that it is my sin that will keep me from being caught up 
when you return. So Lord Jesus, I confess my sin to you. I confess that I am a sinner. I confess that my righteousness is as filthy rags. Lord, I give my life and my sins to you. I ask you to come in and to be my Lord and my Savior and my very best friend to wash me clean of all those things. Because I know that you are God. I know that you gave your life on the cross. I know that you paid for my sins and that you are the only way by which I can be saved. And so I give myself to you. Come into my life. Wash me clean. And help me to serve you every day with all my heart until you return. So that on that day you return, I will know that I am free and I am clean. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Keep pursuing him. I encourage you to come early and be a part. There's, I'm telling you, there's a shifting in the atmosphere in the church pew. People are praying. People are calling out. And I believe that as we continue to do that, we will, we will see a move of God. God bless you. Have a great week. For those that are watching online, love to see some comments if this spoke to you. Have a wonderful day. God bless.